Hi, everyone. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to share some exciting news. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with podcasts, but from a podcast creator perspective, there's essentially three types of shows. There's an ad-supported show, there's community-supported shows, and then there's shows that don't get any support and eventually they fizzle off and die. Well, I don't want this to ever turn into an ad-supported show. I think it breaks the flow of the story to throw an ad in the middle. And I certainly don't want the show to fizzle off and die. But the sad reality is that, like any sort of content, podcasts aren't free to create. Now, as always, this show will continue to be free for you, forever. Well, as long as I'm able to make the show, that will not change. Now, the show is not in any danger of going under, but I just want to be proactive about it before it is. So, to help me continue making the show, now, based on a true story, has a Patreon page. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, essentially it allows you, fans of the show, to help me keep paying the bills so I can keep making the show. And I'll be sharing some exclusive stuff with patrons, like going behind the scenes of the show to see how it's made, free digital collections of episode transcripts, and much more. So check it out at patreon.com slash basedonatruestorypodcast. That's all one word. And again, that's patreon.com slash basedonatruestorypodcast. And I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks. And now, on with the show. In 2007, Michael Bay directed his first Transformers movie. Two years later, he directed his second, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Two years after that, he directed the third, Transformers Dark of the Moon, which was the last Transformers movie with Shia LaBeouf. That didn't stop Michael Bay. Two years after Dark of the Moon, Michael Bay teamed up with Mark Wahlberg. But it wasn't another Transformers. Bay and Wahlberg broke the every-other-year cycle of big, shiny robots in exchange for Pain and Gain, one of the cheapest movies Michael Bay has ever made with only a $26 million budget. While $26 million is a lot of money for you and I, for Hollywood, it's not. For example, the year after Pain and Gain came out in 2013, Michael Bay and Mark Wahlberg were back at it for Transformers Age of Extinction, which released in 2014 and cost almost 10 times the amount of Pain and Gain at $210 million. What makes Pain and Gain's budget even more impressive is the all-star cast it contains. Working alongside Michael Bay and Mark Wahlberg were some other big names like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Anthony Mackie, Tony Shalhoub, Ed Harris, Rebel Wilson, and Ken Jeong. How did they get such a great cast on such a low budget? Well, it helped that Bay, Wahlberg, and The Rock didn't take salaries, instead taking a cut of the eventual $86 million that the movie ended up making. Pain and Gain is also the first comedy for Michael Bay since another Miami-based story, Bad Boys 2, in 2003. Another first for Pain and Gain is that, unlike the Transformers series, it's Michael Bay's first movie with a shred of truth. But the real story is anything but a comedy. I'm Dan LeFebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. Pain and Gain kicks off with a GoPro shot of a ripped Mark Wahlberg who plays the role of bodybuilder Daniel Lugo in the movie, doing sit-ups on the side of the Sun Gym building before making an escape from the cops. 
After this brief injection of comedy as Wahlberg goes sliding across the hood of a police car and cracking the windshield on impact, actor Ed Harris, who plays a man by the name of Ed Dubois in the movie, explains that, quote, The events you are about to see took place between October 1994 and June 1995. Unfortunately, this is a true story, end quote. While the movie starts in October of 1994, our story begins a couple years earlier in 1992. Sun Gym was a popular spot for bodybuilders to get even more ripped. The gym's owner was John Meese, who's played by Rob Corddry in the movie, and himself was a bodybuilder. Well, technically, he was an accountant by trade, but in the 1960s, he'd earned the title of Mr. United Kingdom with 19.5-inch biceps while he was stationed in England during his stint in the United States Air Force. So when he started Sun Gym in 1987, this love of bodybuilding only grew, and John loved to use his business to hold bodybuilding competitions. By the time 1994 rolled around, Sun Jim had earned a reputation of being the place to train in Miami for bodybuilders. While this reputation meant a loyal, dedicated core group of members, it also meant most people simply felt out of place. So when a gold gym opened nearby, Sun Jim started bleeding members. Unfortunately for John, this meant he was left with mostly fitness-crazed members who were on the shady side of life. While extreme fitness certainly isn't criminal, John's gym had somehow managed to gain members who were. In fact, according to a series of articles by Pete Collins from 1999, which were the basis for the movie, one Miami police officer claimed he could, quote, meet my monthly quota of felony arrests in one night at the Sun Gym, end quote. And so Sun Gym wasn't doing well. John Meese was getting fed up. About this time, a 30-year-old New Yorker by the name of Daniel Lugo showed up at the gym looking for a job. In the movie, Mark Wahlberg's version of Daniel Lugo explains that he had been in prison and he was looking to make a new start. He promised to increase membership by 300% in three months, a deal that's too good to pass up. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Ernan. While we don't know the details of the deal, there is a lot of truth to what the movie claims here, although the movie failed to mention a few very important details between prison and Daniel's job search. 
Perhaps one of the biggest differences here was that the movie never portrayed Mark Wahlberg's Daniel Lugo character as being married. In truth, Daniel moved to Miami with his wife Lillian Torres and their four adopted children years before. Then his marriage to Lillian ended soon after he went to prison for fraud after scamming people out of money at health clubs both in Miami and in Oklahoma of all places. But that was back in 1991 and he'd done his time. And although Daniel and his wife had separated, Daniel had since remarried and was still close friends with his ex-wife and their four children. So it seems Daniel was looking to make a new start after all, but with a new wife. We don't know if he promised an increase of 300%, but Daniel did have a lot of ideas that convinced John to overlook Daniel's troubled past. Of course, it probably didn't hurt that bodybuilding was a passion for John, so the failure of said gym was something he'd try anything to avoid. So John hired Daniel to breathe some life into the gym. And things looked good for a while. Daniel was bringing people into the gym. And by the summer of 1994, Daniel had turned the gym around. During that time is when Daniel brought on one of his friends, Adrian Dorball, who's played by Anthony Mackie in the movie. Adrian and Daniel had struck up a friendship a few years earlier when they met through Adrian's cousin, Lucretia Goodridge. Daniel ended up marrying Lucretia after he divorced Lillian and brought Adrian on to work at Sun Gym. This wasn't mentioned in the movie, but together, Adrian and Daniel pulled a scam to make some quick cash. They rented some mailboxes, bought some names and social security numbers from legitimate Medicare recipients, and then sent bills to the government for made-up medical bills. Soon after, Adrian, who as far as anyone else knew was still just a young part-time personal trainer with only two clients, invested a million dollars into a mutual fund account. In the movie, Adrian is portrayed by Mackie as an impotent, simple-minded person. Part of that is true. Because of his steroid use, Adrian was indeed impotent. And he did see a doctor for hormone injections to help with this, but he didn't meet his wife there. In the movie, Mackie's version of Adrian meets Robin Peck, who's played by Rebel Wilson. Eventually, the couple gets married in the movie, but in real life, Adrian's wife was named Cindy Elridge, and the two didn't meet at the doctor's office, although Cindy did recommend the doctor to Adrian for his impotence. In the movie, the final member of the Sun Jim gang is Paul Doyle, who's played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. In reality, Paul Doyle didn't exist, but instead, The Rock's character is a composite of three people. There was Jorge Delgado, Mario Sanchez, and the primary inspiration for the character of Paul Doyle, which was a man by the name of Carl Weeks. Interestingly, the man for Paul Doyle in the mugshots at the end of the movie is also an actor by the name of Shannon Mosley. The mugshot of the real Paul Doyle in the movie was actually staged for the film. All three of the gang members were portrayed in the movie as bumbling fools. While this certainly helps add to the comedic element of the movie, this isn't true at all. The real Daniel Lugo, Mark Wahlberg's character, was a very smart man. The real Adrian Dorball, Anthony Mackie's character, was incredibly violent. He loved violence. Only the real Carl Weeks, The Rock's character, was relatively close to the movie version. Carl was nice, 
like The Rock's character, and although he was a recovering drug addict and ex-convict, he'd converted to Christianity and only started working at Sun Gym on the recommendation of his cousin. But still, even though Adrian and Carl were roped into Daniel's ultra-violent scheme, they carried it out wholeheartedly, so they're certainly not innocent. Just like in the movie, on the surface, the plan seems simple enough. Daniel, Adrian, and Carl would kidnap a rich man and force him to sign over all of his possessions. In the movie, they kidnapped Schlotzky's deli owner, Victor Kershaw, who's played by Tony Shalhoub. In real life, Victor Kershaw doesn't exist. They targeted an accountant and a franchise owner of a few Schlotzky's deli shops named Mark Schiller. Mark was targeted because he had done some business with Jorge Delgado a few weeks before. If you remember, Jorge is one of the people that went into The Rock's composite character named Paul Doyle. Well, Jorge ended up doing business with Daniel, so Mark had met Daniel before, but he didn't trust Daniel, so Mark broke off ties with both Daniel and Jorge, not wanting to do business with them. Simply put, this made Daniel upset and gave him a target for his idea. The gang didn't actually dress up in Halloween costumes like they did in the movie, although that was a part of the plan at one point. That was when the plan was to go grab Mark after he opened the door in Halloween to what he would think was a bunch of trick-or-treaters, but that didn't happen. Instead, the group decided to go to a strip club that night. They did capture Mark at his deli, like in the movie, but it wasn't quite as bumbling as they made it seem in the movie. When Mark was getting in his car, they grabbed him from behind. There was a long struggle that ended with Mark getting tasered a few times before the three bodybuilders finally were able to subdue him. In the movie, Daniel and his gang torture their victim until he gives them what they want. This actually happened. Mark was punched, pistol whipped, tasered, had his flesh burnt with a lighter, and even had the three playing Russian roulette with his head. For the next few days, Mark was forced to make phone calls to let people know he was alright each time a gun pressed against his head in case he said something he shouldn't. And the torture continued. After almost a month in captivity, he finally caved and signed dozens of documents that essentially transferred everything he had to the Sun Jim gang members. Finally, once Daniel was satisfied they got everything they could from him, it was time to cut Mark loose. They forced Mark to make one last call, this time to his lawyer. In the call, Mark admitted to having an affair with a Cuban woman. He said his wife had found out and now Mark was suicidal. Of course, he said this with a gun to his head. In the movie, the gang pours chocolate liqueur down Tony Shalhoub's throat as they force him to get drunk. This happened, although it wasn't only chocolate liqueur. After the call with his lawyer, and with a gun still pressed to his head, Mark was forced to drink a deadly cocktail of vodka, tequila, and chocolate liqueur laced with sleeping pills. Mark passed out. Then, at 2.30 a.m., on December 15, 1994, the gang put Mark in his car and drove him to an industrial park where Daniel held down Mark's foot on the gas pedal and turned the wheel to aim the car at a concrete pole. Just before the car crashed into the pole, Daniel jumped out of the car. 
In the movie, Mackie's version of Dorball had put a seatbelt on Victor Kershaw, which saved his life. They make it seem like it was a funny thing to do. The seatbelt thing didn't happen, but Mark did survive the crash somehow. So Daniel splashed gas all over the car and set it on fire. The three men got in their Chevy Astro van and began to back away. As they did, they noticed Mark getting out of the car. They hadn't strapped him in, and the heat from the fire had revived him enough to where he was able to stumble out of the car. Carl, who was driving the gang's Astro van, switched gears and aimed the van at Mark. They struck him, knocking him down. Then, just like in the movie, the gang turned the van around and ran him over yet again. In the movie, Tony Shalhoub's character survives this vicious attack. And that's actually true. Mark Schiller survived the Sun Jim Gang's attacks, but he was left with a twisted spine, shattered pelvis, a ruptured bladder, and a damaged spleen, just for starters. He was in bad shape. In the movie, the gang finds out Victor survived and comes back after him in the hospital. And although it's hard to believe, this is also true. As soon as Mark came into the hospital, his first thought was leaving the public place. He asked to be transported to a hospital in Staten Island, and this was granted. As it turned out, this was just in time because the same day Mark was transported, Daniel, Adrian, and Carl were dressed up as doctors in the hospital trying to find Mark's room to finish him off. The story was so crazy, Mark didn't trust the cops to believe it, so he didn't go to the police. At least, not yet. In the movie, after the Sun Jim gang gets a taste of luxury, they quickly decide to run their scheme again once they find they've spent all of their money. So they need another target, and they find one in multi-millionaire Frank Griga. This actually happened. Daniel and the gang kidnapped Frank and his girlfriend, Christina Furton, while Mark was still recovering from his injuries elsewhere in Miami. But Frank refused to sign anything over. The gang was frustrated, they were violent, and they were desperate. In the movie, it's Mark Wahlberg's version of Daniel Lugo who accidentally kills Frank Griga. In truth, it was Adrian Dorball who killed Frank. And while we'll probably never know what actually happened, knowing how Adrian loved violence, it's not likely to have been an accident. When Christina saw Frank lying dead, she screamed, and just like in the movie, the gang shot her full of horse tranquilizer, Rampan, to shut her up. But unlike the movie, she never came out of her sedation. They'd given her too much, and she died. In the movie, the gang starts cutting up the bodies. Somehow, Hollywood makes this unthinkable act seem like comedy, as they have The Rock making funny faces as he grills human hands. The grilling didn't happen, but the gang did cut up the bodies with a chainsaw. And just like in the movie, there's receipts as evidence to show Daniel Lugo did take the chainsaw the gang used to chop up Frank and Christina back to Home Depot because the engine burnt out. But unlike with Mark, where he had to call his loved ones to let them know he was okay, even though he did so with a gun to his head, Frank was never forced to call anyone. So it didn't take long for people to report both Frank and Christina missing. While all of this was going on with Frank and Christina, Mark was recovering. It took four months for Mark to recover. Not only physically, but he was broke. He had no home. 
His businesses had been dissolved, sold off. The only thing he was left with was $160,000 worth of credit card bills, most of which was spent on condoms and porn by the Sun Jim gang. When he could afford one, Mark hired two private investigators, one named Ed Dubois, who's played by Ed Harris in the movie, and the other PI was Ed Siebert. Lots of Eds. So the Eds went to work. They sifted through trash they found in Daniel's home, which used to be Mark's. As they looked through it, they found almost everything pertained to Mark's kidnapping. It was obvious Daniel and the gang was trying to get rid of the evidence, but instead of shredding everything, they just threw it out. With this in hand, Mark and the Eds went to the police in April of 1995. As it happened, one of the detectives who was working on Mark's case overheard a conversation about the suspect, Daniel Lugo, and the disappearance of Frank and Christina. Just a few hours later, the Sun Jim gang was rounded up. Daniel was the only one who wasn't arrested. Just like in the movie, Daniel had fled to the Bahamas, but it wasn't to go get more money from Mark's secret reserves of cash. He was simply trying to escape Miami. Five days later, he was caught, ending the story of the Sun Jim gang. The case went to trial in 1998, and Judge Alex Ferrer presided over it. You might know him from his daytime TV show, Judge Alex. Ferrer is quoted as saying, quote, There were literally times during the case when the lawyers would approach the bench to talk about an issue, and we would just shake our heads and laugh because of the stupidity. The case was incredibly tragic, but it had a lot of dark humor in it. End quote. So while Hollywood takes the stupidity of the Sun Jim gang to turn pain and gain into a full-fledged comedy, as you've learned, this true story isn't very funny. After the movie was released, Mark Schiller, who turned down the opportunity to have a character named after him and even play a cameo role in the film, was shocked to find out how the character of Victor Kershaw was made out to be a mean, womanizing, and horrible person who seemed to have deserved what the gang did to him. In truth, Mark went from being a millionaire with a lovely wife, successful accounting firm, and deli franchise to having his life completely ruined. Although Mark wasn't without blemish himself, in 1999, Mark pleaded guilty to a conspiracy to defraud the government and was sentenced to 46 months in prison and was slapped with an order to pay $14.6 million. This charge was completely unrelated to his kidnapping, though. He was released from prison in 2001, and to this day, Mark has never gotten his possessions back. He's not a millionaire. He's separated from his wife, and he earns about $20 an hour, less money than he made in college, just to pay the bills and try to forget what happened. He's admitted to not wanting to go out, and claims he's often judged in real life based on the personality of the Victor Kershaw character. Daniel Lugo was charged with racketeering, two counts of first-degree murder for the murders of Frank and Christina, kidnapping, extortion, arson, burglary, robbery, grand theft, and forgery on June 2, 1998. He received two death sentences, but is still alive, and since his sentencing has been filing appeal after appeal, trying to get the charges revoked. Since his last attempt at an appeal in January 2010, it is officially still pending in the U.S. Supreme Court. While he waits, Daniel is currently serving his sentence on death row in Rayford, Florida. 
Adrian Dorball was charged with two counts of first-degree murder for Frank and Christina. Like Daniel, Adrian received two death sentences. And like Daniel, Adrian has filed multiple appeals. His final appeal was on November 2009, and it failed. The only way he can avoid execution is through a governor's pardon. But Adrian is still alive and on death row in Florida. Son Jim's owner, John Meese, was sentenced to 56 years in prison. He died while serving his sentence in prison. Carl Weeks was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was released in just under four years on May 15, 2002. Stevenson Pierre was sentenced to seven years in prison. He was released just under two years later on May 14, 2001. While we didn't really talk about him much because he didn't have a role in the movie, another member of the gang was John Raimondo. He was sentenced to eight years and was released three years later on February 27, 2002. Jorge Delgado was sentenced to 15 years. He served seven of those years before being released on September 27, 2002. In 2008, he was arrested for trying to return $7,500 worth of stolen goods to a Kmart store. He was given a year's probation, but never served any time. Jorge and his now wife, Jocelyn, currently live in Miami. In April of 2014, Mark Schiller filed a lawsuit against Mark Wahlberg, Michael Bay, and Painting Gaines producers at Paramount over the film. The suit claims that his life has been ruined because Pain and Gain was, quote, heavily marketed, end quote, as a true story. That's why Paramount and Bay are in the lawsuit. For Wahlberg, the lawsuit claims Pain and Gain was used for Wahlberg to market his own line of fitness supplements. The lawsuit, which is seeking $10 million in damages, claims Victor Kershaw is presented as a skirt-chasing, carefree millionaire when in truth, Mark was just a victim of the brutality of the Sun Jim gang. Today, Mark's lawsuit officially holds the same status as the appeal for Daniel Lugo. Pending. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. If you want to dig deeper into the events that unfolded with the Sun Jim gang, I'd recommend picking up Mark Schiller's book entitled Pain and Gain, The Untold True Story. While he's obviously biased in his retelling of the story, no one can deny he was a victim of a brutal crime. Anyone who wants to know about this story should certainly check out his side. As with all episodes, the transcript of this episode is available right now in Kindle edition on Amazon. Your purchase of the transcripts helps balance the cost of keeping the show going, so thank you very much in advance. You can find Based on a True Story on the web at basedonatruestorypodcast.com, and there you'll find links to the transcripts for each episode, uh, a link to Mark Schiller's book, as well as the music that was used in each episode. If you're enjoying the show, I'd really love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Lefebvre, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B, so reach out, say hi. Hi.